0: Good afternoon, my name is Jordan, I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, Let me say a word of prayer for us before we hop into today's message. Heavenly Father, Lord, let us live into and believe the words that we have just sung. That you are a good, good father to us. And Lord, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about as we are in your hands. We ask these things, in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So in the early 2000s, one thing that all of these, like, streetball basketball tournaments, and uh, Netflix is doing documentaries on these right now, and my older brother, true story, uh, threw a tournament in our hometown, and he was convinced that this was going to be the biggest tournament that that city had ever experienced. So his idea was to invite the best high schools from all over the country. And we had a family friend who had money, because we didn't have no money. Uh, We had a family friend who had some money, and he was gonna put up basically all of the money to fly these players in from California, from all over the country, put them up in hotels, pay all of these different fees so that we can put on this tournament. Now, true story, some of these players that played in this tournament that day would end up playing in the NBA. Uh, there was this one guy, Kevin Love, uh, who played for, he plays in the Heat now. Here's, a, I think, a picture of Kevin Love standing next to the greatest player of all time. Right there, <laughs> hugging. Uh, Lance Stevenson, Brooklyn's own Lance Stevenson. Yeah, here's a picture of Lance next to the goat as well. <laughs> and we had New York City's own Harlem's own uh, Kemba Walker, uh, Rice High School, Uh, And it took a lot of discipline to not also put a picture of Kemba next to LeBron. (laughs) So it took a lot of money to bring these, like, high-powered schools uh, to this one tournament that was happening. And if you've ever thrown a tournament, if you've ever thrown a party or any event, one thing that you do every single time before the event is you pray for good weather. God did not hear our prayers that day, and uh, it snowed about six or eight inches, and we started to realize that we weren't going to get the crowd that we projected was going to come. So the person who was really fronting all of the money said, hey, Jordan, I have an idea. Throw some t-shirts into the audience to get the crowd excited about buying some t-shirts. Now, let me tell you something right now. The most powerful person in any arena is not the owner of the sports team. It's the man or the woman in front of the t-shirt cannon. They can point to anybody in the stands. It doesn't matter if you're having a serious conversation. You'll interrupt what you're doing, push your two-year-old out the way just to get a T-shirt. And for about 90 seconds, I had the power. The DJ put on money, power, respect. I had the T-shirts. And I was throwing T-shirts in the stands. Now, he told me to throw like three or four T-shirts into the stand. I threw like a hundred into the stands. It was a drug. I was addicted to the power that I had in that moment to control the crowd. Finally, he ran over to me and said, Jordan, stop, what are you doing? I told you to throw like three or four in the audience, not to give a 100 away. We have to make money back for this tournament. Now, here's what I realized that day about myself. It's really easy to be generous with things that are not yours. I didn't have no money involved in that event. I was gonna go home and not have to answer to anybody I was going to go home, and if 1,000 people showed up or if 100 people showed up, it wasn't going to impact my bottom line. So when it came time to make the decision about how many T-shirts to throw away, I was reckless. I was generous because it wasn't mine. Over the years, one thing I've realized about the Christians that I have most looked up to that are the most generous with their time, with their resources, with their relationships, are people who see it through a framework of stewardship, that everything that they have is not theirs, but rather it belongs to God. We're in this series called The Good Life, and we're looking at what is the type of life that God wants you to have. Irrespective of what passes for the good life these days, what is the good life that you should aspire to? And here's a good life. The good life is that you should aspire to look at everything that you have currently in your possession as not yours but that it belongs to God. Now, don't take my word for it. Look at these uh, scriptures. Psalm 24 and 1 says this, the earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10 and 26 says something very similar. It says the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. That includes whatever is in your Chase account. That includes your job, your relationships. And so one of the things we're talking about today is a concept called stewardship. Now stewardship is a big word, and a lot of times if you've been around church, uh, you may have heard stewardship presented as trying to get you to be, to do something. And my goal for you today is not necessarily that you would do something different, but that rather you would be something different and you would view yourself in a different way. A steward doesn't necessarily just change the way they behave. They change how they look at themselves in relationship to what they have. So here's a good definition of stewardship. Stewardship is the process of being responsible with someone else's property while it is entrusted to you. And so quite honestly, my goal for today is that we would see all of our life, the time that is in our hands, the moment that we live in, our job, our relationships, our money, our resources, we would see them as belonging to God, and that we would make the journey from viewing as th- the things that we have as things that we own, as things that we would steward. Now, here's the biggest challenge to you being a good steward, someone who views your life and everything in it as belonging to God, and you managing that well and wisely, it's greed. Greed is living with the assumption that everything I have It's all for my consumption." Greed is living with this assumption. It's not something that you speak about um, out loud. It's living with the assumption that everything that you have that's in your possession right now, it's all for you to consume. It's for you. It's to serve you. Now, a steward flips that the other way around, and the steward sees that their life and everything in their life right now belongs to God, and our call is to be responsible with what belongs to God, while it is in our possession. Now, I do want to give a quick caveat for this, uh, where we're going today. Um, One of the challenges that people have when we talk about stewardship and how we use the, the, the money and the time and the things in our possession is sometimes people hear it and it turns them a little neurotic, that they start obsessing about are they doing the right thing in every single scenario? So you'll be at Chipotle, and the lady will say, do you want guac? And you're like, I don't know. Hold on, Lord. Is it good stewardship to get the guac, Lord? And chips? Uh, and I don't, want, I don't want that for anybody. Um, quite honestly, one of the things that I think I've mentioned this a, a number of times, and I'll continue to mention it. In the book of Genesis, in the earliest pages of Scripture, we get two extremely important theologies. It is a theology of limitations And it's also a theology of delight. Now, in Genesis 1, God sets Adam and Eve down in the Garden of Eden. He tells them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But just don't eat this one. And God is trying to free Adam and Eve to delight in what God has given them. And delight is not a bad thing. It is actually an underused muscle in the Christian tradition That sometimes God puts things in your life for you to delight in. This is not to make you miserable and to make you uh, a miser or anything like that, but rather that we would see ourselves to live within the limitations that God has given us. So I don't want you being neurotic, worried about is every single small decision. Sometimes one of the holiest questions you can ask yourself is this, what do I want to do? Now, that has to be included in a whole series of other questions. Is this wise? Is this glorifying God? Is this selfish? Uh, what does my community say about this? What does Scripture say about this? All of these things are very important questions. But I want you to add another question to that is, Lord, what do I sense, what do I want to do in this as well? And God, is to be a good steward doesn't mean that you're now miserable. It just means that we live with a proper understanding of how the things in our lives do not belong to us. And so I want to give us, uh, I want to read a story from Scripture. Jesus, the master, masterful storyteller, tells a story about stewardship. It's uh, from Matthew 25 and 14. Uh, Jesus says these words, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. So three different servants, God gives them, uh, the, the, the owner in the story gives them all different varying talents. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, what you have is, is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when, it, when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has, more will be given." and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A couple quick things about this story that Jesus tells, this parable that Jesus tells. One, this is not meant to be an economic lesson on compound interest. And two, this is not meant to say that this servant is going to go to hell for not doing the right thing. It's, it's not about that. This is about Jesus teaching us through a story about how we view the things that we have in our lives, that for everything in our lives, we have to give account. And these things don't belong to us. So three takeaways from this that I want us really taking away with us to our tomorrow. Number one, everything we have belongs to God. What Jesus was wanting them to feel is humbled. What Jesus wants you to take away is humbled, grateful. Everything you have belongs to God. You know, in many ways, um, we have this American obsession with the self-made person. The self-made person who had 200 people along the way helping them get to where they've gotten to. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book Outliers, did a really good job chronicling how people have come to be successes. And there's no person who hasn't got to where they are based on a lot of very fortunate circumstances which have put them there. Whatever you have, everything that we have belongs to the Lord. God, in Acts 17, scripture says that God has predetermined the times and the places of our inhabitants, which means God puts you in this city. And God gave you your family with their resources, with their connections that would guide you to these schools along the way. None of those things were earned by us. For those of you who who grew up with a silver spoon in in your mouth, who grew up on third base and thinking you hit a triple, um, it's wise for us to look at everything we have as belonging to, to the Lord, even if you've gotten a lot. Now, here's why this is so important. When we don't seek God on how to handle our money, our time, and our gifts, the Bible calls that pride. In Psalm 10 and 4, it says, in his pride, the wicked person does not seek God. In all their thoughts, it says, there is no room for God. When we predetermine how we're going to spend our time, our money, our resources, Scripture would diagnose that as pride. Now... In all of our lives right now, we have many things that are in our possession, things that we are responsible for for stewarding. So really, first and foremost, none of you in this room, you don't don't have a job. For those of you who are between jobs right now, you're like, dang, that kind of hit. That's a reminder. I didn't need that depression reminder. Thanks, pastor. You don't have a job, none of us. You have a temporary role at a company that you are accountable for how you steward your leadership and your influence. None of you will be there forever. I don't care how great the company is. I don't care how smart you are. You have a temporary role at a company that is also temporary. And right now, the Lord has put certain things in your hand for you to steward it wisely. It does not belong to you. You know, before um, we had an amazing members dinner on Wednesday night. And before we got ready for the members dinner the whole week, preparing for it, I was a little stressed about some stuff. And my wife, she just as she does, really dropped a bomb in our living room that like, changed the way that I thought about everything. And I went into it with just a, such a, a centered place. She says, man, isn't it good that like, this church doesn't belong to us? That we're just stewarding our, our, our leadership in this church right now, and one day, we'll pass it on to someone else who will steward it. And immediately, in realizing that this is not our church, this is the Lord's church, and I'm a babysitter. I'm babysitting the good father's children for the time that he has me here, and one of my mentor friends, he said that, you know what, Jordan, every pastor is an interim pastor. Some of them have a longer interim role than others, but nobody is there forever. It doesn't matter what you've done under your reign. The only call of any leader is to be faithful with what has been given to you for the time that it is in your possession, and one thing this story shows us is that one day we have to give an account to the one who owns it all to be discerning. Have we been faithful with the opportunities in front of us that were given to us while we had them? Another true thing that I want you thinking about, parents, you do not have children. Um, You have little human beings that the Lord has given you for a season, and you have the temporary role of raising these human beings, and you are accountable for how you steward your leadership and influence in their lives. Hopefully, it is an extremely long role, but as many of you in this room know all too well, uh, our parents will not be here with us forever. And we need to steward the role that we have while we have it in our lives. Now, here's a big challenge. For anybody who's a parent, you have a vision for how you want your kid's life to go, and very soon, your kids start to show you that they are going to take a different path than you would want them to go. My uh, oldest son right now, um, he is like really... He loves breakdancing. He loves it. And uh, even in thinking about like, his summer programming this year, I want him to go to basketball camp because my plan is starting point guard for the New York Knickerbockers, <laughs> Jemison <laughs> Rice. And when he started telling me that like, he wants to do breakdancing, I was like, buddy... You're supposed to be at the garden, not doing Showtime on the A-Train. We're not doing that. That's not, that's not the life I have for you. God has more for you than that. But he loves it. And, and just that very small, insignificant thing, instead of nurturing a passion that he has, I just sense me hoarding over his life. And I've had to repent to the Lord, like, Lord, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to fail in the small things. I, I don't want to prove myself to be unreliable in the small things so that you don't count me as worthy of handling larger things in his life. And all of our kids, one day, they will no longer be under your thumb to where they have to do what you're telling them to do. And then the question will be this, have you stewarded your resources, your leadership in their life in such a way that when they no longer have to be listening to you, they want to listen to you? That's a whole different goal for parenting. So all of us who have dreams and hopes for our kids, in all seriousness, um, it's also a, this story is also a good reminder that we should never compare our kids, our jobs, our money to anything else because the Lord has truly given us different talents and different things. So, you know, I'll talk to some parents and I'm like, their kids are smart. Like, they're smart. My kids are kind of smart, but their kids are like really smart. And one of the things that happens for me is uh, I start to compare my kids to other kids and immediately, you know what the fastest way to kill something is? By comparing it to something else. Like the fastest way to kill your gratitude, to kill your joy about something, about your apartment, about your job, about your relationship, about your vacation, is to it to someone else's. And what this story also reminds us is we should never take, by not taking ownership for our kids, our jobs, our resources, we're also recognizing that God has not given us all the same things. Some people will have, God has given some people greater intelligence, influence, skill on Broadway, all these different things that he has given others of us. And it's not our job to compare ourselves to what other people are doing, but rather, are we faithful with what the Lord has given us? In the story, you see, God gave one person five, one person two, one person one. It was not their job to compare the other, to the other people, but rather to be faithful with, with, with what they had been given. You don't have a gift. The things that um, you're gifted at, you have something that was given to you to benefit others. You know who are the most obnoxious leaders in the world, the most obnoxious people? People who are really gifted, and they use their gift only for themselves. Like, they're the people that are just obnoxious. Because you can't deny the gift, so you have to pay attention to them. But they use their gift just to feed themselves. And I think we see something in them that we ignore in ourselves. Our desire to hoard, to, for greed, to consume the things that are given to us. Here's what 1 Peter 4 says. Just as each one of you has received a gift, here's what Peter says, use whatever gift God has given you to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as the one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen quite candidly, it is our hope and our goal that you would see yourself, for those of you who follow Jesus, you would see the gifts that you have, the time that you have, as something that should be used to serve other people. And Lord knows we don't have time. We do not have yesterday. It is past. We do not have tomorrow. It is not promised. All we have is the present moment that God has given us. Here's what James says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a, a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance." All such boasting, James says, is evil. You and I don't have money. We have belongings that have been entrusted to you, that you are accountable to God for how you handle it and what you gave God while it was entrusted to you. You know, calls for generosity are never about what the church needs, it's about what you need. It's about what we need to see and how we need to see ourselves in relationship to our money. All right, so the first thing is everything belongs to God. Number two, this point is shorter. Uh, Everything we have is temporary. Everything we have is temporary. So verse 19, it says, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So really what Jesus, I think, is wanting us in his masterful storytelling, he's wanting us to feel something. He's wanting his listeners to feel that one day, hopefully a long time from now, you and I are gonna have to give an account for how we lived with what God has given us. And so one of the things that is most helpful for you to consider is, am I doing what I can while I can do it? You know, I talk to a lot of our members um, who leave New York City to go to another place for a job or for family reasons. And one of the things I've talked to and I've heard over and over again from a lot of members, amazing people who have served our church and been so faithful almost all the time They will say something to the effect of, I wish I did more while I was here. And on the way out, they have this clarity that they didn't have in the moment. We're always thinking we could do more things later, and I hope that you all feel this right now. I don't know who this word is for, but some of you have been putting off something that the Lord has been inviting you to, and maybe the Lord, they say, do what you can while you can do it. Steward your time, your resources well while you have it, because you don't have tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. If you sense the Lord inviting you to do something, maybe today is a day to move in that direction and to do it. Number three, God entrusts things in our hands to manage them well. God entrusts things and people in our hands to manage them well. Now, one of the things that I, I, I don't want people leaving this message with is, again, like this this desire to just immediately hit the ground running and do a 180 in your life and you've been living for yourself and you say, oh, man, I'm convicted about the greed I've been living with and that you would run at a pace that is unsustainable going forward. So when we give a call for service, you're like, I'm gonna serve twice a week. I'm like, well, maybe that's a little bit too much for you out the gate. Um, I don't want anybody hearing this as an invitation to burnout. Simultaneously, I love our, our culture's emphasis to care for ourselves, but there is a limit to which caring for ourselves turns into consuming everything for ourselves. And we have to be wise and discerning to make sure that we are living as good stewards with what God has given us while not burning out um, as well. And so our goal for you, our goal for myself, is that we would live our lives as stewards considering everything in our lives, not as things we own, not as belonging to us, but rather it belongs to God. And that when I give my time, when I give my money, when I lay down my authority uh, in certain roles to steward relationships well, my goal is to give back to God based on what he has given to us. So at Renaissance, one thing you'll hear us talk about a lot is the gospel. And the gospel is this, because of what Jesus has done for us, that motivates us to live a different life. It's not to earn something from God, but it's rather based on what Jesus has done for you that that would change the way that you would live practically. Now, here's what that means for you right now. I think quite literally, it's an invitation to to take a look at what Christ has done for us on the cross. What has Jesus done for you on the cross? And to let that be the thing that motivates you to live a different life going forward. You know, when you think about the things that have been given for you, I think the only appropriate response to a life given for you is to live with gratitude and to live with reverence and to live with an awareness of the things that have been sacrificed for you to motivate you to live differently. Uh, I saw this firsthand with my father and my grandmother. Uh, My father did not grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth by any stretch of the imagination. Um, He grew up with no spoon in a tenement apartment in Buffalo. He wasn't poor, he says, he was Poe. He couldn't afford the last O or the R. <laughs> but my grandmother had dreams for my father, that he wouldn't be confined to the same fate that she had, but that he'd get an education and he'd make something of himself. So she worked hard, literally cleaning up rich people's houses on her hands and knees for decades. And she prayed over my father and raised him to be the God-fearing man that had ambition and could dream something for his life beyond tenement living in Buffalo. That there were no limitations on his life. One day, that little poor black boy from Buffalo grew up to be a lawyer. With God's grace and the help of many people in his life, mainly his mother. He went to college. He went to be the first person in his family to graduate from middle school, high school, college, and law school, and he went on to start a law firm with my mother. But guess who he never forgot about once he had some Cole Hans on his feet? His mother. What kind of son would he be if once he made it, he forgot about the sacrifices that had been given for him? That's no no child at all. All of us know that in any scenario where a life has been given for you, the most appropriate thing to do is to live with an awareness of the sacrifice that has been given to you and to give back based on what has already been given to you. The gospel tells us that once upon a time we were living in the poverty of sin and Jesus Christ served us, not because he had to, but because he loved us. Our elder brother took All of the things, because he had in mind for us, our elder brother Jesus had in mind for us a life with God that he knew we would never attain on our own, and so he went to the cross for us. And now Jesus invites us to live with an awareness of the sacrifice that has been given for us, that we would see our lives and the things that have been given to us as means to show gratitude for what has already been given to us, and you wouldn't hoard it for yourself. You know, as my grandmother got older, there was not one thing she ever lacked for. My father always lived to care for her in such a way. Because the only reasonable response to a life given for you is to live with awareness and obligation to serve those who have sacrificed for us. Friends, Jesus calls you to serve. Jesus calls you to lay down your life. Jesus calls you to lay down your resources and to give it in service of the kingdom not out of obligation or duty, but because he is the one who has already given us his all. And he invites us to do a portion of the same. Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, uh, in my ignorance, I live with the consumption assumption that everything I have belongs to me for me. Jesus, I pray that you would free me from that radical delusion that wants to entice me to live for myself, and rather, Lord, that I would see your your sacrifice for me as an invitation for me to live sacrificially as well, and to see myself in light, Lord, of all things belonging to you. Jesus, that which you have given me, I pray that we could be faithful with that today, and I pray that you would give us wisdom on how to be faithful to that. Lord, I ask for courage for my brothers and sisters who are contemplating difficult decisions. Lord, maybe they don't need clarity. They just need courage. And I pray that you would give them the courage to make that next step in faith. We ask this all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.